you have a copy of God's Word, that's our scripture for today, Jude 3 and 4, as we continue in this series called uh, Faith That Last, Faith That Last. Last week, we did uh, kind of an introductory week to the book of Jude, the person of Jude, and uh, this week we're diving into the body of the letter of why he wrote it in the first place. As you're turning there, uh, you know, there's many things in our life that we desire to last. And the primary one that you probably think of, of things you desire to last in your life is relationships. You know, we never enter into a relationship knowing or hoping or thinking it's going to end. Like you never have a friend with somebody and you're like, hey, we're friends, but you know, this is not bound to last. You you never do that. Uh, Hopefully you don't. And specifically like, Uh, significant other relationships or forbid, uh, God forbid, a marriage entering in with that mindset of like, you know, this is probably not going to work out, but we'll give it a go. Um, When I do pastoral counseling for uh, premarital counseling in that regard, there's a question I usually ask. It's, is there anything that would uh, make you want to end this marriage? And if they have, you know, like, well, there's a list of things that I would go through. There's, there's come some concerns there. There's some things that we need to work through there. If they're entering in with this mindset of like, this is probably not going to work out. And our faith is one of these things that a relationship with Christ is something we desire to last. If you enter into a relationship with Christ uh, in the right mindset of I'm taking all of Christ, I've turned from my sins and I'm placing all my faith and trust in Christ. I want a relationship with him. I trust in him. I'm following him wherever we go. He is the leader of my life and forgiver of my sins. You haven't entered into that haphazardly or half-heartedly. Like you're all in. You're, you're wanting this thing to, to make it through the test of life, through the mountaintops and the valley moments, through the difficulties, through the heartaches and the heartbreaks. You're wanting this thing to last because it's a good thing. It's, it's a thing that's worth fighting for because anything that's good is worth working towards and fighting for in our lives. And so that's why this... Um, text today, this sermon title, if you're taking notes, right at the top of your notes, ready to rumble. That's what Jude wants his people to be ready to, ready to rumble or ready to fight it out or contend for this positive relationship with Christ. And when I was in elementary school, thinking about that, I played peewee football. I didn't play football in junior high and high school. I I went towards basketball and baseball, but I played peewee football and through fourth, fifth, and sixth grade and um, at the end of every season of Pee Wee football, they would, we would have this big hayride with all the teams and the cheerleaders and, and then all the parents would meet us out at actually my parents' uh, property. They had a big yard, uh, fun to play with. We would roast hot dogs and marshmallows and all that kind of stuff at the end of October, early November time frame. And we had a good old time. And there was only one rule about when we got at the end of this hayride to my parents' property. It was don't go past the creek, like don't go past the creek in the yard. That was kind of the boundary line of the backside of the property. Because on the other side of the creek, about 10 to 15 yards away was this pond. And it was a re- small retention pond uh, that caught water from the different streams that was on my parents' property. But around that time of year, it was super dry. And I called that pond Frog Pond, affectionately, because there were frogs there a lot. But this this pond during this time of year was dry. It looked like just just clear dirt, but it was mud. And there were two boys that passed the creek. They broke the boundary and they went past the creek and they were standing on the banks of this pond. One of them was a friend that uh, would come and stay the night at my house pretty often and knew 
the ins and outs about this pond, but it was not a wise decision to enter in. The other one did not. The one that did know convinced the other one it would be a good idea, a good wager, if you will, to put a gamble on if he could walk across the pond straight through the center. So he took off. He began one foot after another, quickly to find out this was not solid dirt, but rather mud, and began to sink and began to sink, but he kept walking. He thought he could do it. He's walking through. And all of a sudden, one step after another turned into screaming because he realized he was up, chest deep, shoulders deep, caked in mud. And the reality is, is for our life, if we desire to follow Jesus with wisdom and against the current pull of our culture, we can't just continue in sinking into the mud. We have to fight for our faith. We have to, as Jude writes in verse three, contend. And this is the reason why he writes this in the first place is he desires for his readers and his first readers and us to contend for our faith, to fight gravity, to fight the pull of not ending up one day opening our eyes and realizing we are stuck in a place we never should have been in the first place. So what does Jude think about when he thinks about contending for our faith? Well, there, our target statement this morning uh, is, is threefold. And so it's this, with contending in mind, it's that followers of Jesus must know who they are, what they believe, and how they're called to live. Who they are, what they believe, and how they're called to live. Let's dive into the text in verse three. Jude says, beloved, stop right there. Go no further for the first part of the target statement of knowing who you are. Jude calls these followers of Jesus beloved, that they are loved by God. In fact, all throughout this letter, if you're reading it in the ESV or NASB or even KJV, you'll see the term beloved scattered throughout four times in a short 25 verses because he wants to stress the identity of those he is writing to to themselves, that they are in fact beloved of God. If you're reading in the NIV, it says the simple term, dear friends. And I love the NIV in most terms, but this is a, a weak terminology of what the word actually is. It's beloved. That Jude doesn't care about the location of the, the people he's writing to. He, he never addresses it. We don't know their age, their social status, nothing. But over and over and over and over again, he calls them beloved because he wants to stress that their identity is in Christ, that their identity is in God, that he calls them his beloved. And before anything else, before any other identity marker in your life, in my life, we should know as followers of Jesus that our identity must be placed in Christ in his beloved, not in how much money we make, our national identity, our political identity, our gender, our social status, our sexuality. Nothing can take precedent over the fact that we are beloved in God, in Christ. That he wants followers of Jesus to know who they are. They are beloved. That if they have turned their back on their sin and placed their faith in Christ, that they are beloved of God. And it must be their primary identity because if it's not, things will get wonky in their lives, which is why he continues on to write this, verse three in full. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, 
I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In verse three, there are four things about followers of Jesus that Jude points out. We've already talked about the first one, that followers of Jesus are loved by God, that they are loved by God. But the second one he points out is that Jesus followers have a singular common rescue, a singular common rescue. When he says this phrase, I was eager, I so badly wanted to write to you about our common salvation, that there is a singular point of rescue in followers of Jesus' life. That there is but one door to enter into eternity to spend it forever with God. And that is Christ himself. There are not multiple rescue points, but one rescue point. That is Jesus and Jesus alone that we can trust in for salvation. Because the word salvation, the way it's used all throughout the New Testament by both Paul and here by Jude, is to refer to twofold thing. The first is the present reality that they are beloved. The present reality that they are in Christ because they've turned from their sins and placed their faith in him. That right now, not one day, but right now they are in Christ. But second, it's thinking about the future for them. It's thinking about the fact that they are right now in Christ, that he is good enough not only to just hold them right now, but gonna hold them for all eternity until they enter into his presence forever. That that is their common salvation that it's a present reality, but it also holds a futuristic hope for them. But there's a difference between the phrase that's used common salvation and the faith. And we'll get to that in a minute. But what Jude does here is it's probably perplexing for both you and, and me at first read where it's like, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I decided to write to you about contending for the faith. Why does he do that? Like, what's, his, what's he getting at in, in shifting gears, if you will, of changing up his plan? Well, Jude practices what other theologians have called theological triage. Theological triage. In World War I, you're probably familiar with the word triage, but in World War I, the French d- took this term and, and from their word that meant to sort or to order. And that's the word triage. I'm not gonna embarrass myself by saying the word in French because I have no clue how to do that, but that's where it comes from. And you're probably most familiar with this word if you've ever been to an ER. If you've ever been to an ER, say you fall off, uh, fall down your stairs and you hurt your wrist, you think you fractured it, you go to the ER, you're like, hey, I think I've fractured my wrist, this is the event that happened, or maybe you're doing something way cooler like mountain, mountain biking or whatever. But anyways, you fell down your stairs, you know, stuff that I would do. Uh, but you fracture your wrist, you go into the ER, you go into triage, and they assess the problem. But you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And then all of a sudden, somebody busts through these doors from a car accident because they have shrapnel all in and they're bleeding and they just pass the line. You know, you as a common sense person, hopefully don't go, hey, they need to get in line, all right? Like, no, there's a triage, there was order. It took higher precedent from your hurt hand and my hurt hand that they needed attention right now. And Jude, for the situation that they're facing is he wanted to write to them about this common salvation. But the pressing situation merited him writing something totally different because there were these primary or first level issues that were happening in his time 
that he's like, we got to talk about this because this is higher. So he does theological triage because what Jude understands is what we should understand is this, is the third point that followers of Jesus agree about primary points of doctrine or the primary points of the faith as he calls it. They agree on these issues because these are different terms between common salvation and the faith. Because the way the, the word the faith with the direct article and the word faith behind it is it's used to mean the teachings of Jesus and the apostles all throughout the New Testament, which it means that it's, it's agreed upon of what the primary first level points of the faith are. Because we know this because how Jude writes about it. He says that they were once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all delivered to the saints. You see, because the faith is delivered unto us. We didn't create it. Followers of Jesus can't mend, adapt, alter, take away, or add to anything that is the faith. That the, the way that it's been presented to us is complete and finalized. I'm going to slow down because I'm about to say something that if it's misheard might be a little controversial. Okay, so I'm going to slow down a little bit. I always have to preface this. Because the faith is the pure gospel that's been delivered by Jesus, completed by the apostles of the church in the 66 books of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And the gospel of Christ has been fully received. Nothing else to add. Fully received. So we, as followers of Jesus, do not need fresh revelation from God. We have it right here in the scriptures. What we do need is fresh understanding and application of the completed work of the faith in the scriptures. We need what has already been passed down from Jesus and the apostles and recorded in the witness of scripture. We need this book. We need to understand this book more fully like it's already been delivered to us and recorded in this book. Because this book, when encountered, is the only book that when you sit down to read it, the author meets with you in it. It's the only book that points you to an eternal security in Christ alone for the, all of your life. From the moment that you sit down with it until all eternity, it is complete. We don't need God to meet us in a, a new way. He's already met with us. We need to understand it and read it more fully. As Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15 like this, now I would remind you, remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So the response from Paul and from Jude is what they need to do in their day of what they were wrestling with is to contend as he writes in Jude 3. So the fourth statement that he writes about followers of Jesus is that followers of Jesus followers should contend for the faith. Contend. And in two weeks, as we walk through this book, we're going to get into what Jude says contending looks like. 
of how the ins and outs of how he's instructing those followers of Jesus to contend. But until then, today, I want to nuance two wrong approaches of contending. And you might be thinking like, why do we need to know the wrong way? Let's just tell us the right way. And hopefully it'll be self-explanatory when we get into it. So the first way, the first wrong approach is debate, not contend. Debate, not contend. It would be easy for us to hear the Jude say, contend for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints and say, I know what that means. Anytime I hear anything on Facebook or where anywhere else that I don't agree with, I'm a keyboard warrior. I get in there, I get into the comments, I let them know that they're wrong, I'm right, and here's why. It's not at all what Jude's talking about. The reality for us though is Christians, we love to bicker, if you will. We love to argue and nuance and, and do all these different things and tell other people why they're wrong and we're right. But that's not at all what Jude's talking about when he's saying contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. He's not talking about being a good debater. He's talking about being a good contender. Because what Jude practices here is theological triage. He has this order in mind that he wanted to write about something, but he said, you know what? I don't need to write about that. I need to put this in first importance. Because remember point number three, that followers of Jesus agree on primary points of doctrine. Okay, well, Daniel, that's, that's helpful, but tell me what the primary points are so I know what I'm supposed to contend and other things I'm supposed to slide and all those kind of things. Well, I'm gonna recommend a resource to you because I'm no, not just gonna give you all the answers. I'm gonna guide you in this direction. That if, if you want to know more about this, a, there's a case for theological triage in the group's guide and I'm gonna tell you what the book is. So, so there's a great resource called Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. And he recommends, or he nuances this theological triage with there's issues in the Christian faith that are on four levels. And the first level is what Jude is talking about. And by definition, the first level are issues of the faith that are essential to the gospel itself. This includes things like who is Jesus in his identity? The fact that he is 100% man and 100% God, born of a virgin, second person of the Trinity, came to accomplish salvation completely for anyone who would put their faith and trust in him and turn their back on their sin. The identity of Jesus and the works that he did, miracles. He died a literal physical death on the cross, was literally physically buried in a tomb and bodily rose again and ascended into heaven to never die again. The Trinity is another issue of, that's essential to the gospel and who Christ is. And there, there's a few more, but that's what Jude is approaching because he gets into verse four where he nuances some more things. And if you want more about what, what are second level, third level, fourth level, you're just gonna have to read the book. I'm not spoon feeding you. All right, because the reality is, is what Jude is writing about is there is a second wrong approach to contending. It would be to concede and not contend. To concede and not contend. The word concede by definition literally means to just throw up your hands and surrender. To say that truth is truth but truth Everybody's truth's on the same level of truth. All truth is equal. You know, there's just, just concede. Just, yeah, just accept it all. Just bring it all in. It's to concede. It's just to say that it doesn't matter that like, you do you, you live your truth, I'll live my truth because it doesn't matter in the end. But the reality is, is to swing the pendulum from debate 
to fight about everything, to concede and fight about nothing, is not also what Jude is talking about. Because the reality is, is that you never get to health by just flowing through life. You get to McDonald's that way, but you don't get to health. You have to fight for your health. You have to fight to eat healthy. You have to fight to make sure your finances are in a healthy spot. You have to fight to make sure your relationships are in a good spot, in a, in a healthy way. Because gravity naturally pulls us towards unhealth, towards what's easy, what's simple, and what is just the most uh, less resistance. But that's not the direction that Jude wants us to go in either. He desires for us to take God really seriously and ourselves not so serious. Because the reality is we know we're not perfect. We serve a perfect savior, but we ourselves are not perfect. And we're called to contend, to wrestle, to rumble. That word literally is an athletic or military term that says put in effort. So we've got to put forth effort because there is a present reality of danger or of unhealth. And that's what he talks about in verse four. Verse four. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So who are they? Well, he calls them certain people. He doesn't call them out by name like Paul or John does in 2nd and 3rd John. He just says there's a, there's a type of person who has crept in unnoticed long ago. There's one translation I found that you literally use the phrase, they wormed their way in. I like that because it gave me this kind of slimy feeling about like, ooh, it's not a good thing. But there's four things about these people that Jude highlights. That these people, the first one, was a preacher, so I used all Ds, so it'd be helpful in alliteration. But they were predicted long ago, or, or they are designated. They're designated, Jude says. And this is encouraging for this reason, that it would be easy for us as Christians living in the world we're living in today to get easily for us to be defeated, for us to concede, to throw up our hands saying like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? There's so many times in our lives that we, we try to do the right thing or we try to push in the right direction only to find five other people pushing back against us in the wrong way. But Jude encourages us out of the gate before he says anything else about these people in verse four, he said they're designated, that they have an end date, an expiration that God in the end will deal with them on judgment day. That in the end, they don't win. That the end of the story, Jesus wins. That it's worth fighting for, it's worth contending for. That our faith, our relationship with Jesus individually and collectively is worth exerting effort towards even when you feel like you're pushing a rock uphill and you're sliding back down. It's worth contending for because these people who are fighting against you, who are uh, destined for judgment, they, they are designated. That God is the only judge and he will sort everything out in the end. Be encouraged, be encouraged to contend because it's worth it. Because even if you don't look like you're winning right now in this season of your life or maybe any season of your life, in the end, we serve a perfect judge and master who will sort everything out and right every wrong that's ever been committed. 
And the second thing he points out about these people is they are ungodly or they deceive. They deceive. This is really helpful for this word to be rendered in this way to say ungodly because literally the way this word's used all throughout the Bible is a type of living that is in total and utter rejection towards God. It's to live in such a way that God, uh, that you believe God does not even exist. So why would I do anything differently in my life? Because there is no God. That's the, that's the word, the baggage this word holds, that, that this is to live in such a way that you're the master of your own destiny. That there is no God. So it doesn't matter how we live here and now, that just do whatever you want. And they're teaching and modeling this type of living. So they're deceptive. They're leading people not towards theoretical atheism, but practical godlessness. That they say, do whatever you want, because it does not matter. And they modeled it in the way they lived. They are, Jude says, ungodly. They live like there is no God, so it does not matter. The third thing, it says they turn the grace of God into an opportunity to sin, or as Jude writes it, they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. They distort, they distort. These people were teaching in Jude's era that literally that the grace of God was an opportunity and a reason not only to think about sinning, but to actually enjoy it, to do whatever you want. The word pervert or distort or turn, whatever it is, it literally means to alter something fundamentally, to twist it and point it in the total opposite direction. The grace of God is by definition undeserved favor, that you and I have God's grace over our life because we are sinful people. We deserve absolutely nothing, but he calls us beloved. We did nothing to earn or deserve that. And we are still sinners. We deserve none of God's grace, yet we get it because of Christ. That is grace. But these people are teaching that because, oh, you've been forgiven, so do whatever you want. Live however you want. They are changing the grace of God at its fundamental level that not to say that you have this unmerited favor, therefore you should response, love God and follow him, but rather still do whatever you want. That it's a license for sin. That you, if you feel it, you should do it. Because the specific area that they're leading down is the next word Jude uses is into sensuality. Sensuality. It's probably not a word you use every day. I don't use that word every day. But the word simply means a lack of self-constraint. But it's an, ex- an extreme lack of self-constraint because it literally is to go beyond the boundaries of socially accepted society. And primarily, it's in the category of sex and sexuality and sexual expression. That these people were saying that not only uh, are we godless, But they also distort the grace of God saying, teaching that they're given justification for the way that they live their life. And they they have these wants and they have desires, they have these cravings. And they said, if you have that, you should follow that and do that to the 10th degree. 
Like just keep down that road, keep going, express yourself, live however you so please. So they're modeling it and they're teaching it and they're pushing it in the absolutely wrong direction. And the fourth extreme is they deny. The last phrase is they deny the Lord Jesus Christ, our only master. You see, these people are much more like Judas rather than Jude. This is what I mean by that. In Matthew 26, verses 17 through 25, you don't have to turn there. I'm just gonna read two verses in a minute. The context is the Last Supper where Christ is spending a meal with his 12 disciples and they're enjoying this meal. He's washed their feet. He's done all these things. And he stops dinner and says, one of you will betray me tonight. One of you will betray me. And 11 of the 12 are heartbroken. Verse 22 says it like this, and they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Imagine in your mind this meal where Jesus, their teacher, their rabbi, their Lord, their master, the God they've left everything for to follow with their life has told them, hey, one of you guys is gonna betray me. And one by one, 11 of them ask the question, is it I, Lord? That word literally means boss or master. Like you're calling the shots. And why is that important? Because one of them didn't ask that question. Asked a slightly different question with just one word different. Verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered him, is it I, rabbi? Word simply means teacher. You see, because Judas was fully comfortable with Jesus being a good man. Fully comfortable with him being a rabbi or teacher. But Lord, leader of his life, Tell him the direction to live, what to change, where to go. No, only I get to do that. I'll take Jesus as teacher. I'll take free grace, but keep your nose out of my business. I'm the only good Lord and leader of my life. You see, every time we live in this way. We do the absolutely worst thing that the false teachers of Jude's day do. They lived in such a way that Jesus didn't matter. We'll take the free grace, but don't you direct my life. Only I get the title of master in my story. And we are fundamentally rejecting his lordship. Everybody will take a savior. Everybody will take a free handout. But taking Jesus as master to say that I am second in my story is a much more difficult thing. You say it's amazing to know that we are beloved of God in Christ Jesus. It's amazing to learn more about what we believe as followers of Jesus, to contend for our faith, to, to know what we believe. But the third 
how we are called to live in such a way that comes under Christ's lordship, in such a way that says you are calling the shots is a much harder thing to do. And these false teachers were doing just that. We're reorienting people's directions towards themselves as their own masters. So here's the question. For you in your story, where do you need to contend for your faith this week? I believe some of you need to contend in knowing who you are. It's as simple as knowing that you are the beloved of God in Christ Jesus. In a day and a time where so many people label so many others with so many different labels, simply knowing the first word of verse three, you are beloved. No matter what anybody else says, if you're a follower of Jesus and have turned your back on your sin and put your full trust in him, beloved, your past doesn't matter. Your mistakes doesn't matter. Your current situation does not matter, beloved. Others of you may need to contend for your faith and actually knowing what you believe. And that can feel like a daunting thing because there's so many beliefs and, and religions and denominations and all these other things out there. Like I, I, I need to get a book on all of them. Like I need to, I got to know what they believe so I can know how to refute it or defend my faith. Like, no, no, no. Jude says you need to know your faith. You simply need to know the God who created you. And when you know that, everything else that comes against it, you'll, you'll be able to distinguish the difference. Or third, do you need to contend for how you live your life? Because many of us still have our seat as the driver's seat in our story. There's a specific area in your life that's in your mind right now that you're pushing against the spirit of God saying, nope, I wanna do it this way. Others of you, there's been many moments in your story where you've, you've, you've got over in the passenger seat, but you keep reaching over, putting your hand on the wheel. On a specific area or, or whatever it may be in your life. You need to contend by simply saying, Jesus, you're the master. Help me live like that. Some of you may have never put your faith in Christ. And today you can, you can do that. You can start a relationship with Jesus simply by praying a simple prayer of making him the leader of your life and forgiver of your sins. So with those three areas in mind, I simply wanna guide you through a prayer time. There's gonna be some prayer team members on the sides. So if you would, would you get in a prayer posture that you feel comfortable with, whether it's, you can keep looking at me, you can bow your head and close your eyes, you can get on your knees, you can make these steps and altar, whatever you need to do. Would you just simply get in a posture that 
you can focus your attention to who God is and what he's doing. And the question is, is where do you need to contend this week? Would you pray first for wisdom from the spirit of God to know what that area is? Some of you right now, you're, you're, you're at a loss because it feels like every area you need to contend or none of the areas you need to contend. Would you pray simply for the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and direction on where to contend? By the power of his work in your life, would you know where to contend? The first area is knowing who you are. Some of you feel so beaten down by so many other voices. Would you pray something like, Holy Spirit, help me hear your voice as the primary voice of who I am. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray in such a way, in a, in a practical sense, God, help me see and know that I am your beloved. Second, in knowing what you believe. Would you pray about what needs to be replaced in your life? We wake up with so many forms of influence of social media and TV and news and, and so many different things. And it's not about adding things into your life as much as it is replacing them. And you replace some of the primary intakes into your life of what they are. Would you pray for wisdom and practical guidance on setting up good rhythms in your life to spend time with God, to know his word and what he says about the faith? And lastly, on how to live. What area in your life are you living in such a way that is putting yourself in the seat as master and not Christ. Would you pray for conviction, power, guidance, wisdom, accountability to help guide you in the right course of action? Father God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your spirit has went before us and is working now in this room. God, I pray that you would give people the wisdom and the guidance and the power to make these action steps in their life and that you would teach them, teach us what it means to live by your spirit's power in our lives. That we would trust you and follow you with every moment. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.